Hello and welcome. Thanks for joining us for this special podcast in which we address how carbon trading can move the needle on climate change and at the same time offer up investment opportunities not to be missed. I'm Manisha Tank and I'll be your host over the next 20 minutes, in which we're going to focus on why voluntary carbon markets are gaining momentum and how they'll help address climate change. We'll also explore the challenges, the opportunities that lie ahead, such as how to get all stakeholders onto the same page and what it takes to create a standardized way to trade carbon. So joining me to do this, we have Chris Leeds, Executive Director, Carbon Markets Development at Standard Chartered, Matt Hastings, Global Head of Commodity Trading, Standard Chartered, and Amy Ban, who's Head of Registry Network and Integration at Expansive. Let's get straight into this. Amy, tell us a little bit about you and what you do. I recently started a new role at Expansive. It's a company that's a leading trading platform for ESG assets. It ranges from carbon, energy, water, fuels, and we're growing fast in other areas. You can think of it kind of like infrastructure linking together the ESG world of buyers, suppliers, and certifiers. My role is leading that network and integration strategy, as you mentioned. To scale up many climate solutions at one time, we've got to integrate it all together. This spans from software connectivity across different systems, aligning requirements and standards, to more efficiently connect capital to these type of projects that have environmental benefits. My typical day involves engaging with partners across the world on a lot of strategic and transactional items, you know, statusing priorities across our teams, listening and advising on different opportunities, and then mapping out ways to execute our strategies through partnerships and a lot of capacity building. Chris can get us up to speed on where carbon trading is right now. So I'm going to check in with you and ask, what's the latest? Events are moving really quickly and there, there seems to be a new exchange initiative or, or initiative being launched weekly. Standard Chartered have been involved very closely in the task force for scaling the voluntary carbon markets, which was chaired by our CEO, Bill Winters, and has now moved on to being a body in its own right with a board, with a, a secretariat and an expert group. And I'm actually honoured to be on that board as one of the market participants that have been voted for by members. The governance body has been named the Integrity Council for the Voluntary Carbon Markets. And we're also involved in Climate Impact X, which is another platform that's out there looking to set up an exchange for really high quality carbon credits and making sure that this market is as high quality and has the highest integrity possible. And also that we create these standards so that people can understand what's going on, understand what they're buying. The carbon markets are growing and they're converging. So we're talking about the voluntary carbon markets today, but we're going to be seeing this becoming much more closely in line with what's going on in the mandatory markets that are trading. I think a global carbon market is in reach. Matt, tell us a bit about your role and the kind of things that you've been working on lately. I'm the global head of commodity trading for Standard Chartered. My main focus is energy trading and our energy transition trading business reports into me. We launched a desk a couple of months ago in August, focusing on financial natural gas trading and carbon emissions trading, with our initial focus on carbon emissions trading being the, the EU emissions trading scheme. We've been busy helping numerous clients across the globe, managing their needs in the gas and emissions trading markets. This has been a particularly important really for our clients, given, given the extreme levels of volatility that we've seen over the last couple of months. Everybody's sort of read in the news about the various natural gas price moves. That just underlines the need for our clients to really be on top of, of their risk management when it comes to these products. Over the course of the rest of this year and into 2022, we're going to grow the desk to cover other mandatory emission schemes and, and also, very importantly, the voluntary carbon markets. It's really important that we focus on delivering what we term a just transition. Transition fuels like natural gas are really important parts of that, along with the most important point which I wanted to talk about today, which is putting a price on carbon emissions in the first place. 
Chris, there's also a lot of news flow around at the moment about loans which are no longer being given to producers of fossil fuels. That leaves us with a bit of an imbalance. And speaking of imbalance, in the West, there's a certain perception on where we are on this curve. And in other parts of the world, well, the perception is somewhat different. How do you ensure this fair transition from where we are to getting to lower emissions? Public opinion is moving quickly to push politicians and companies to make changes that are necessary to avoid this climate disaster. A recent poll carried out by the BBC found that over 56% of people wanted their governments to play a leadership role setting ambitious targets. And in addition, more than 20% of the world's largest companies, which sells more than 14 trillion, have now committed to net zero targets. But as of today, we're still on the three and a half degree trajectory and carbon market pricing will help accelerate the transition. And one way to make it just is climate finance. Climate finance will channel billions of billions of dollars from the developed world where the industrial revolution began, after all, where we first started emitting large amounts of carbon dioxide. And it's going to transfer those funds to the developing world. The developed world will be short carbon. We need carbon credits to be able to cover for our obligations. We're going to have to make the far more cuts and far quicker the cuts than the developing world. And the finance will help those countries to reduce the use of fossil fuels, use more renewable energy, protect nature and invest in low carbon technologies. So banks like Standard Chartered are committed to a just transition. And we realise that we, we can't expect people in the developing world to take the same path to net zero as those in the developed world, when the primary objective of many people is simply to access clean water and affordable, reliable energy. We are going to ensure that companies and countries transition, but we're also aware that it's not going to happen overnight. We're going to make sure that we continue to put funding to make those transitions and to bring those companies and countries with us on that journey. Amy, one would imagine that investors stand to benefit hugely from this transition. How do they get a piece of this action? Systems really are shifting and realigning now to include value-based factors in these financial products it impacts risk analysis, valuations, and even who qualifies for what. Whether at an individual level, institutional level, and everything kind of in between, in the past, there weren't reliable and standardized ways to invest in ESG assets. Right now, we've got the combination of enormous momentum to scale up solutions, the technologies evolving to enable big data to back those up, and then the incredible amount of capital that's seeking to support those solutions. It's creating a lot of opportunity in the space. Now we've got more real ESG data starting to get standardized and investors can actually know what they're getting, what values behind it. I think this is going to flow into everything from 401k choices to everyday products and more sophisticated investments. I serve on the board of E8. It's a clean tech angel investment group, and we are seeing a lot of great deal flow right now in our pipeline. There's a lot of other new funders coming in. They're moving really quickly in the space. There's opportunity really across the spectrum wherever you're looking to invest and get involved. Matt, it feels like you're actually on the front line of this in a way. Clients must come to you and make demands and ask, how can I be a part of this? How do you keep up? If I look back 12 to 18 months, Chris and I were bringing up this topic with many of our clients and it felt like we were really pushing it. And the last couple of months is that the inquiries from clients have been really coming thick and fast. I suppose with climate change conferences and various other things going on, it's really become front and center for clients now. More and more companies want to go net zero. They realize they can't cut their own emissions quickly enough. We're also seeing interest from governments who want to cut their own emissions and, and they're looking for partnership 
uh, from experts in the field to do so. Investors are also interested. Uh, they see this as a new asset class and it's likely to, to appreciate quickly. Governments are really incentivized to increase the cost of carbon to achieve our climate goals. All investors are going to have to be able to better assist the risk in their portfolios from carbon because it's going to be mandatory in the near future. And for us as a bank and as a trading desk, we're just going to continue to do what we've always done, which is we provide risk management services and the best insight that we can to these organizations. And with carbon, we'll be there to try to help the companies decide how best they can transition and and along the way provide the advice, the finance and the risk management services, hopefully uh, all in one. Chris, what have you learned over the last year or so about what should be avoided as we move forward? It's important to understand that when we look at these markets, we set prices on everything we do from energy to metals and agricultural commodities. Prices react to supply and demand to ensure that these essential commodities are allocated efficiently. The problem is that one important element of that has been missing, and that is the cost of the pollution that has been generated as a result of making these commodities. Or, Or more accurately, there has been a price, but that price has been zero. And with a zero price, there's no incentive for anybody to conserve the resource. We have to realise that that carbon's a precious resource. According to the latest IPCC reports, we can only emit just over 500 billion tonnes of CO2 before we see catastrophic damage to the environment. Now, I know that sounds like a lot. 500 billion sounds like an awful lot. But when you realise that we are missing 50 billion tonnes every year, it's going to get used up in 10 years. And at current rates, we're on for a three and a half degree temperature increase by the end of the century, which will result in flooding of cities like New York and Amsterdam and droughts across the world. We need to halve emissions by 2030 and get to net zero by 2050. The focus has been on legislation to do this, and that's absolutely right. But it's not enough on its own. We need to see massive investment into the emerging markets to ensure that they can continue to grow um, using renewable energy, they can protect nature, and to invest in new low-carbon technologies. That's why we need a carbon price. It gets the right investment into the right places. We need to learn that these prices will actually affect behaviour. The difficulty has been getting something to work globally. A patchwork solution is not good enough, as, as there'll be winners and losers, which pushes countries toward protectionism. That's why the voluntary carbon markets are really important, because it enables us to build carbon markets from the bottom up. You know, you're going to be able to create this linked system, which will allow pricing globally and, and everybody to be able to see a visible price for carbon. And whether you're a FTSE 100 company, whether you're a government or whether you're an individual in the street, you'll know what your price of carbon is and you know what impact you're having on the environment around you. Amy, over at Expansive, you're all about pushing the boundaries of innovation. Can you share some of the ways that you're doing this and helping us come up with this price? We took the global framework called Corsia. This is a um, global standard that was developed at the UN for the aviation sector. Um, I had a role in, in helping create that. And it's a great example of global collaboration where the parties came together and um, figured out how to have a, a sectoral, truly global approach going forward. But then you have a bunch of parties that need to comply with it over the, the years in the program. So at Expansive, we created a standardized offset contract that met all the eligibility criteria for that global framework. This really de-risked the process for buyers and made it more efficient for them by doing that screening credits in advance and creating that pool where they could just go in and do one simplified transaction. A second example is our digital fuels program. This we just launched this fall and we're starting with natural gas. It will provide visibility into methane intensity. That's a huge climate issue that not enough has been done to address. And this is more of an upstream solution versus the carbon markets. We've got data partners that take real-world measurements. Then we ingest that documentation into our platform. We create a digital twin of the assets that's maintained then throughout its life cycle. 
Producers can then showcase the value for good practices they've got. Buyers can then differentiate purchasing based on those attributes. Um, this really is a new type of, of business model. Moving to these data-driven platforms to bring transparency to commodities, the environmental impact is going to be critical to getting results. Matt, I'm quite curious, how is technology helping you do your job? I think the biggest challenge is the need for standardization in the market, especially the voluntary market. It's not unusual in a new asset class for there to be competing exchanges and products and the markets will eventually move towards a more standardized approach. Standardization obviously allows suppliers to develop projects to, to a higher quality and, and, and mainly liquidity, which is required for any market because it, you know, if you don't have liquidity, then organizations can't manage their risk effectively. And, and without those reference prices, it's very difficult for organizations to accurately assess and manage their risk. But to sort of move to, I guess, the technology part of your question, one of the things we're seeing and something that I think is going to help with standardization and transparency is the uh, tokenization of carbon credits and the broader use of blockchain in carbon trading in general. Carbon trading lends itself well to blockchain because it gives buyers and sellers a single source of truth from beginning to end. When we're looking at uh, projects that can have voluntary carbon based around them, having the knowledge that, that offset is only pledged once or only used once, uh, which the blockchain would, would facilitate, is going to be an important driver in the standardization of the market. My next question to Amy is around the robust infrastructure that you need to make sure that voluntary carbon markets function efficiently. There's an opportunity here, isn't there, for building out new businesses that feed into that system for talent, technology, innovation, design, exchanges that might develop. And we know that there are a few already, but there could be more than that. So just talk to us about everything else that can spin out of this. There is room for so many skills and so much talent to focus on creating and implementing solutions. You have a lot of people right now that are very interested in sustainability and calling attention to the problems, a lot of wanting to start new initiatives. I keep an eye out for how can you best contribute and add value versus maybe creating something that's duplicative or, or might be reinventing the wheel. There's always room for technology innovation though, right? We need a sustained focus on that really hard work of scaling up solutions, integrating at all of the systems levels. Some of that isn't flashy, but it's very important work. Matt, where will be the biggest play in the medium to long term from a trading perspective? There's a lot of urgency everywhere to reduce the supply of fossil fuels. In my opinion, not enough is being done to reduce the demand side on the most polluting fossil fuels, such as coal. Coal is roughly four times more polluting than natural gas, but it still comprises over 50% of the global energy mix. In China alone, they're generating around 60% of their energy from coal, which is kind of a shocking number, really. Every country's gone through its uh, development at different stages, and not everybody is going to be able to reduce their emissions at the same pace. There are going to be plenty of countries, primarily in, in the developing world, that are going to be relying on fossil fuels as a primary energy source for, for many years. It will fall in a large part on the developed world to help those developing countries to make that transition in, in the cleanest way possible. Many countries aren't going to have the money or the infrastructure to electrify their vehicle fleets. All the diesel cars that are going to stop being sold in the West by 2030, where are those cars going to end up? They're probably going to end up in the developing world. As a result, energy prices are going to continue to be volatile. And if investment in oil and gas it continues to fall, then we'll likely see further price volatility and, and, and likely rising prices. I mean, the bad news in the short run is that rising energy prices are not good for governments and they're not good, they're not good for votes. But the good news is that it, it reduces demand for fossil fuels and it increases the demand for renewables. 
But until there's no longer demand for fossil fuels anywhere in the world, then there will still be a need to trade them. I just wanted to get from each of you a sense of that one thing that you think will be the game changer in this space. Let's begin with Amy. I'd say attaching data to assets that enable transparency of those environmental performance aspects. This is going to unlock a lot of liquidity, but still enables us to embed integrity into the process. In the past, corporations, banks, individuals really didn't have a way to select what you purchased and invested in with full information. We're getting closer now. Some areas are easier than others. Methane's got real production data. Carbon offsets are much farther along in their accounting methods than some areas. Many people may be aware that we now have sustainable aviation fuels made from waste oils and industrial gases. But how does a, a consumer or a business buyer actually get those details and compare it to crude oil? Now we've got that ability to capture and integrate that type of data into informed purchasing and tracking. Ultimately, we'll be able to link that to corporate reporting and regulatory requirements. This is just going to ripple across supply chains and markets. It's really going to change practices We'll be able to differentiate by environmental performance going forward. As the technology changes too, we'll be iterating, we'll pivot, we'll have continuous improvement mindsets about this, we'll be better able to gauge progress and what's effective. From my lowly position as a humble consumer, I would say that, you know, it's all in the labeling, right? If I knew the carbon consumption of the goods that I was purchasing, I might change my purchasing habits. At least I'd hope that people would. I know I would. Chris, what's the one thing that you think will be or already is? A game changer. Well, I'm going to announce my vested interest in this one, which is around these core carbon principles of the of the task force that I'm involved in. The reason I think they're so important is because it does create that standardised product. So that's going to allow the, the quality and integrity to develop. And having that high threshold quality will allow suppliers to know what is expected of them. And it will also allow buyers, and going back to your point about labelling, to know exactly what they're getting every time. It's like when you do go to the supermarket, you know what quality of what you're buying is. The core carbon credits will bring that reference price that we can then use to determine exactly what the price of carbon is. Just like when people pick up the FT every day, they go and look at what the price of Brent is to know what the price of oil is, you'll do the same with the core carbon principles for carbon. Matt, you get the last word. What's your take on this question? The market price historically for carbon has been zero. Every other commodity has had a price and gold's had a price for thousands of years. Carbon's been zero and putting a price on it is ultimately going to change 150 years of muscle memory for the world. And I think it's going to put us on the right track to a more sustainable future. When I listen to a conversation like this, I realize that there is work going on behind the scenes. It may not be in the headlines, but work going on that could change all of our futures for the better. And I'm so grateful for it. And I'm grateful that you all spared the time to be a part of this podcast. Chris Leeds, Executive Director, Carbon Markets Development, Standard Chartered. Matt Hastings, Global Head, Commodity Trading at Standard Chartered as well. And Amy Ban, Head of Registry, Network and Integration at Expansive. And from me, Manisha Tank, it's goodbye. <laughs>